Well, again, uh, good morning, church family. Uh, I'm so excited to share God's word with you today. Uh, it's honestly my heart's delight to do this. Uh, and today I have the honor and the privilege of working us through the last two verses of this really short letter of Jude. Uh, up to this point, we've covered quite a bit. Uh, but to try to sum it up, here is the letter of Jude so far. Uh, Jude, the Lord Jesus' half-brother, writes this letter to the church. He writes to followers of Jesus who he defines as being called, as being loved, and as being kept by God. And while we see that his original, uh, original intent was to write to them about the goodness of their common salvation, that changes. That instead, we see the purpose of this letter is to urge the church to contend for the gospel, to contend for the true faith. And why? Uh, well, apparently, uh, Jude had become aware of false teachers who had come into the church. They had crept in unnoticed. And they were living lives that were taking advantage of the grace of God and denying the lordship of Jesus Christ. In other words, because these individuals believed they were saved, they thought that they had a license to do whatever they wanted to do. And to sort of highlight these people uh, and their wrongdoing, we see Jude takes us on this really short journey of some of the history and, and descriptions of people who had rebelled against God and corrupted themselves and others. And at the end of these descriptions, Jude basically says, uh, don't be surprised that false teachers are with you. Remember that these things uh, have always happened, and actually that the apostles told you that they would happen again. And so in light of that reality, again, we must contend. We must fight for the gospel. And to do that, we must build our lives uh, upon our most holy faith. We must keep ourselves in the love of God by living lives of prayer, by reflecting on the gospel, by applying the gospel to our lives, and by showing mercy to those uh, who have sort of been steered away by false teachings, uh, whether they've begun to doubt, uh, whether they've gotten stuck in their sin, or maybe they've uh, totally gone away from the truth and a life with God, we're to show them mercy. In other words, in contending for the faith, we are called to rescue people. Jude says, we snatch people from the fire. We save them by bringing them back to the truth. And we do this with a reverence for God and a hate for sin. Uh, there's so much solid truth uh, that comes out of this really short letter. And it's been such a joy uh, to teach through it. Uh, but honestly, I've been most looking forward uh, to, to today and this message uh, because in many ways, I believe Jude's conclusion is the high, uh, high point of it all. Uh, you see, it, it's reasonable to think that with all this talk of contending for the faith, uh, fighting for the gospel, confronting false teachers, uh, going out and, and reaching people in their sin, that the reader uh, might look at this and think, uh, what if when I do this, what if I fall too? 
What if I fall victim uh, to lies? What if I go off the path of truth? Will I be okay? Uh, will I remain in God's love? Or even, uh, what if I find myself falling out of salvation? And to that, Jude gives us an answer at the end of his letter. Today we are uh, talking about, or going to be discussing, what has been called uh, the doxology of Jude. And again, I can't wait to share these truths uh, and these words of praise with you. And so let's read this together. It's Jude uh, verse 24 through 25. And this is how Jude again ends his letter. Let's read it together. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. So this is a doxology. It means a word of praise. Doxa meaning praise and logos meaning word. And so this is a word of praise. And the scriptures are full of them. Uh, we see these doxologies all throughout the Psalms. We see one in Luke chapter 2 when the angels sing at the birth of Christ. Uh, people gave a doxology at Jesus' arrival into Jerusalem when they hailed him as the Messiah in Luke chapter 19. All throughout the New Testament, you see these sort of spontaneous outbursts of praise that almost always deal uh, with our salvation and our glorious God. Uh, listen to this doxology by Paul, for example, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. He says, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And, and what's he saying that for? Like, where is that coming from? Well, he tells us actually right before this, because, Paul says, because I, the worst of sinners, I was shown mercy. You see, doxology comes in response or comes out of uh, an understanding of the saving work of God. And it recognizes that salvation is all of God's work. That he receives or should receive all of the credit, all of the honor, and all of the glory for our salvation. These are words, doxologies, they are words of grateful praise to God for saving sinners. And that is what we, what we have in Jude. It's exactly what we have in Jude. This doxology from Jude, it's meant to calm our fears and it's meant to give us hope. It's here to give us assurance and joy. And so my prayer is that it does just that for you today. And so let's break this down. Uh, from this doxology in Jude, uh, I believe we see two really critical points. And they're actually two assuring truths. Two assuring truths that, uh, truths that come from the doxology of Jude. Number one... Uh, if you're taking notes, number one, we see that the Lord is able to preserve us. The Lord is able, able to preserve us. And we see this right at the beginning of the doxology, starting again in verse 24. Jude, again, he wrote this, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And we'll stop there. 
Uh, just that phrase, uh, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, what that says is that he, being God, he's able to keep us from falling. It's a really simple truth, but it's an essential truth. The Lord is able to do this. Uh, perhaps a question to consider along with this fact, though, is does he want to? Does he want to keep us from stumbling? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm really thankful that God is able to keep me, but does he want to preserve me? And I'm glad the, the scriptures aren't vague about this, uh, but of course he does, right? Of course he wants uh, to keep you. We know that God is holy. We know that he hates sin. And therefore, we know that he could not want us to fall away, to, to lose our salvation, because that would be to want evil for his children. And God cannot want evil at all for anyone, ever. Uh, you see, if God wanted us to be lost in sin, then he would be less than holy and less than pure, and thus ceasing to be God. And so again, the obvious answer to the question, does God want us to persevere? Does he want us to be kept until the end? Is yes, uh, absolutely. And why that is such an encouragement for us is because Jude tells us what he desires to do and see happen, he is able to do. And we actually see other places in scripture uh, affirm this as well. For example, look at John chapter 6, verse 37. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. And so Jesus says, those that the Father has called uh, and has given to the Son, those who are saved, he says, I will never drive them away. I'm never going to cast them aside. And then skip down to verse 39. He continues, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. Hey, did you hear that? It's so good. It's so powerful. The Father gives to the Son. The Son keeps, and the Son raises them up on the last day. Nobody not one falls to the cracks because that is the Father's will and this is his heart. God's desire is to save us and keep us. And to that, Jesus says, I won't let anyone who is called be driven away. I won't lose anyone. And is he able to do that? Uh, well, again, Jude answers that for us. To him who is able our God is able, and he is the only God who wants, is willing, and can actually save. And certainly we could spend a lot of time meditating on the reality uh, that God is able. You know, back in the book of, of Daniel, we see, for example, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, when they're put in the fiery furnace because of uh, their rebellion or their unwillingness to, to bow to, to idols, right? They're, they're put in that fiery furnace, but they had no fear. Why? Because they said, our God is able to deliver us. He is able and the New Testament is full of these testimonies to the power of God as well. 
Listen to this from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. God is able, there it is, to make all grace abound to you. Why? Uh, so that where sin abounds, grace does what? Much more abound. This gift of grace, Paul says, this gift of grace is incredibly gracious. He is able to supply all the grace that is needed to cover every one of your sins. Or or speaking of Christ himself in Hebrews chapter 5, it says this, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications. This is referring uh, to the garden prayer before his crucifixion. It says, With loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And so, the, and so right there, you have Jesus expressing confidence that God the Father could save him from the horrific experience of being the bearer of sin for the world on the cross and receiving the full fury of God's wrath. And so there's no question about our God's ability. He is able You know, we talked about this a bit last week. Uh, But there is a certain level of danger uh, to living in this world as a follower of Jesus. Right? That's why uh, even Jesus himself says in Luke chapter 10, I'm sending you out like sheep amongst the wolves. Right? Get that image in your mind. We, uh, followers of Jesus, disciples, we are sheep. Jesus says, I'm sending you out to the wolves. Right? It's a pretty dangerous scenario. And and we know, of course, right, that that false teaching, lies, and deception is everywhere in our world, right? It's almost impossible to avoid it anymore uh, in the culture that we live in. And yet, we are called to be in this culture uh, and to rescue people out of uh, their wrong thinking, out of these systems that are anti-Christ and out of their worldly-mindedness and those worldviews. And so understand in doing any form of evangelism, right, you're going to get close to people who hate the truth. You're going to get close to people who are deep in sin. And you're going to get close to people who are far from God. And so the question is, should we, in doing that, in doing evangelism, in, in being in our culture, in engaging people, in contending for the faith, should we draw back in fear? Should we be concerned that somehow we might go into the fire as we try to snatch people out of the fire, right? Should we have uh, fear that we might become permanently polluted or, or tarnished or lost, right, amongst the loss that we're engaged with? It's a good question. But I believe Jude here in this doxology says, no, no. That if you are a true believer of Jesus Christ, If you've been called by God, if you are loved by God the Father, and if you are kept by God, then you are in no real eternal danger. That yes, you may face trials and troubles of many kinds here on earth. You may be persecuted. You may confront temptation. But for those who are truly in Christ, the path to the kingdom is absolutely safe and absolutely secure. And don't misunderstand. Again, not because we are able, but because he is able. You know, I am, I am weak. I am ignorant. I am disobedient. I am selfish. I am rebellious. Right? And I am, I am sinful. 
but thank the Lord that I don't have to rest in my own ability, but rather I rest in his grace, I rest in his mercy, and I rest in his power. Well, before we we move on, uh, another word that's worth noting in this text is that word keep. Again, Jude says, to him who is able to keep you. That word keep here, it's actually a, a military word. It means to guard or to watch over. It's, it's different than the word keep that we were looking at last week in verse 21 when Jude tells us to keep yourselves uh, in the love of God. That word keep there means more so to, to hold. And so Jude is telling us here that the, the Lord is able to guard us and that he actually stands guard over us. That we are safe in his hands, even when we're in the midst of this battle. And what is he willing and able to keep you from? Well, Jude says there, from falling, from stumbling. And this is actually the only place in the Bible where this specific word is used. Uh, but this here, it's, it's assurance that we will be protected, that we won't fall away. And God does this by giving us a new heart, by uh, indwelling us with the Holy Spirit, and by, again, holding on to us, right? That's John 10 as well. If you don't know uh, this portion of scripture, you should, uh, starting in verse 28. It says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. And I and the Father are one. Jesus says, I will not let go of you. And the Father will not let go of you as well. And there is no one that has the power or the authority to snatch you away from their hands. You know, I think that that's why the Apostle Paul had the confidence to say this in Philippians 1, chapter 6. He says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God started, started the work. He called you and he will finish it. No one falls through the cracks. Jude tells us the false teachers in Israel fell that the fallen uh, angels stumbled away. The people in Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, they lived against the truth. And the false teachers, he says, in the church, they're going to fall away as well. But true believers, true disciples of Jesus Christ, they are kept. Our God is willing and he is able to preserve us to the end. And so that's the first truth of assurance uh, that I believe we see in this doxology. Uh, the second, and again, you might want to write this, this down, is number two, we see in this doxology that the Lord is able to present us. The Lord is able to present us. Look at our text again. Jude says, To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. You know, this is just uh, incredible. The Lord is able to present you. He's saying he's able to make you stand, to set you before him and his glorious presence. 
And understand, right, this is the opposite of falling. This is standing. It's enduring uh, to the end. And, and this here is not about standing on earth. Like while we have our time here on earth, you know, our previous point about being kept uh, has to do with being here on the earth. But standing here has to do with heaven. Standing in the presence of his glory. And so, so get this, right? Listen, what this means is that the Lord keeps us here and he takes us there with him, right? He is able, he is willing, and he will do that for those who are in Christ, right? This is amazing grace. Uh, and get this as well. I, I love this. I love this truth. You know, whenever you read the scriptures about someone who is in the presence of God, Right? What happens? What happens? Some of you are thinking of some of those accounts throughout the Bible. Well, right, it's a horrific, traumatic experience for them, right? Isaiah declares a curse on himself when he's before the Lord. Ezekiel falls over like a dead person. Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, they fall over in this sort of semi-coma, right? The apostle John in Revelation uh, he's like a dead person when he finds himself in the presence of the Lord. Right? People are just absolutely terrified when they're in the presence of God throughout Scripture. And that's because he's so magnificent, right? so glorious, so holy. And simply put, we are not. But look what Jude tells us here. Someday, someday, we will stand in the presence of his glory. We will stand. And how? Uh, put the, the verse back up. How will we stand? Without fault. Blameless. People throughout the scriptures were terrified before the Lord because no one who sins can stand before God. And no one who sins deserves to be in the presence of the Almighty Lord. The only way to be in his glorious presence is to be as holy as Jesus, to be pure, to be faultless. And that's exactly how Jude says that we will be. And how? Well, we know it's because of Jesus, because Jesus bore our sins, because Jesus went to the cross and took our guilt and took our shame that for those who have put their trust in Jesus as, uh, as Lord, we are treated as if we ourselves are blameless. That when God looks at you and me, those who have surrendered their lives to Christ, he chooses to see Christ. We will be presented faultless. Understand, we will be presented faultless before the throne of God as worthy sons and daughters, not just free from guilt and sin, but we will actually be totally transformed, glorious, holy, without sin, forever. And so instead of fear and panic and worry before the presence of God, we will be overwhelmed with joy that's what Jude says. We will have great joy, which is a description of the new heaven and new earth itself. Right? Joy actually defines heaven. 
in Zephaniah 3.17, we see that the, the Lord your God will rejoice over you with gladness, that he will rejoice over you with loud singing, it says. Right? Just try to comprehend that with me. So not only are we going to be with him, right, singing praises to him and his glorious name, but scripture says that he is going to sing praise concerning us as well. Right? Think about that. Try to wrap uh, your, your, your minds around this. Right? We know Jesus went to the cross. Why? Hebrews tells us for the joy that was set before him. And what is that joy? Well, it was redeeming humanity. That was the joy set before him. It's fellowship. It's relationship with you and I. Jesus was full of gladness, even on his way to the cross, because he knew that it would ultimately lead to being with you and to being with me. So yes, uh, when we are standing before him, we will rejoice. We will sing his praises forever. But likewise, the Lord is going to rejoice over us. We are filled with great joy in the place of an unending joy. The great preacher, uh, Charles Spurgeon, he once wrote this concerning that Zephaniah passage that I referenced. He said this, I think that's the most wonderful text in the whole Bible. God himself singing? I can imagine when the world was made, the morning stars sang together, shouting for joy. But God didn't sing. He said it was very good, and that's all. There was no song. But when all of the chosen race shall meet around the throne, the joy of the eternal Father shall, shall swell so high that God will burst into infinite song. And understand this, church family, nothing can ever change that or will ever change that truth. Once you are his, once you've put your faith in him, truly put your faith in him, no one can ever pluck you out of his hand and nothing could ever separate you from the love of God. The Lord is keeping you now. You are being preserved for his son, Jesus. And one day you will stand with your head lifted high, faultless before the throne, in glory, in front of the glorious one. And then this is where we close our time together uh, today and, and the letter of Jude with this declaration of celebration. It's verse 25. Jude writes this. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, that's past, now, that's present, and forevermore. That's the future. Amen. All credit goes to the only God. There is only one God. And the true God, he is our Savior. And he is our Savior through Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. And to him, our Lord, Jude says, and we should say along with him, be all the glory, all majesty, all dominion, all authority, there is none left for anyone else. He gets it all and he deserves it all. We are called 
loved and kept. We are preserved and presented before him because of him and him alone and, and nothing that we have done. And I think this is what makes our salvation so, so valuable is that we have assurance when we profess faith in Christ. When we submit to him as Lord of our, our lives, we are issued a form of guaranteed. You know, I, I referenced Charles Spurgeon before, but I'm going to do it again. Um, he's, he's so worth quoting. Listen to his words about uh, this passage and, and, and our assurance. He says, And when I heard it said that the Lord would keep his people right to the end, when I heard it said that Christ said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall any pluck them out of my hand. When I heard that said, I must confess. This is what Spurgeon said, that the doctrine of the final preservation of the saints was the bait that my soul could not resist. It was sort of a life insurance, an insurance of my character, an insurance of my soul, an insurance of my eternal destiny. I knew I couldn't keep myself, but if Christ promised to keep me, then I would be safe forever. And I longed and I prayed to find Christ because, if I, because I knew that if I found him, he would not give me a temporary salvation, as some preach, but eternal life, which could never be lost. The living and incorruptible seed, which lives and abides forever. For no one and nothing could ever separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, if the Lord can't hold on to you, if he cannot hold on to me, what hope is there? If salvation isn't God's work alone, then I'm never going to get there. I'm never going to attain it. If he doesn't hold me, if he doesn't keep me, if he doesn't preserve me, I have absolutely no chance. I need and you need God to save you, to sanctify you, and to glorify you. We can't do these things on our own. But thank the Lord for his grace that not only is he willing, but that he is able. And this is the great assurance of Jude. And it's why the Apostle Paul wrote these words as his life was coming to a close. It's 2 Timothy chapter 4. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Apostle Paul knew he was secure. That no matter what he faced, no matter what came against him, that the Lord would deliver him through and ultimately bring him home. Paul knew he would be preserved and presented in glory before God. And Jude wants you and I to have that confidence as well. All glory be to God because he is able to keep you from stumbling so that one day you will be able to stand in the presence of his glory without fault and with great joy. Our Lord can do this and he will. Amen. Let's pray together.